This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more. At- it was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front. When I gave my truck the rent Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind Forget the race, find an Hey there, howdy, how are you? Thanks for tuning in and thanks for telling a friend that you hang out here on the other side of Texas. Things are already already all over the place i love it uh, great show coming up for you today we have lubbock city manager jared atkinson what in the hell cakes is going on with all of these scooters everywhere in lubbock right now especially down by campus going to get into that with him here in about 10 minutes from now and also sarah self warbrick of the lubbock avalanche journal for your latest on Ragergate, to get you all caught up there and look forward to having her in about half an hour from now. We are broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash studios. As always, Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash in Lubbock for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed they'll get you that rain check too. Racer Car Wash rain check. You want to check in with the program, 806-745-5800. That's 806-745-5800. That's the number to text into today, 806 745 5,800. So, folks, I was watching Trump today, watching President Trump prepare for Hurricane Florence. It's coming into the East Coast. And as I watched him, I missed my grandfather, John Thomas Leeson III, because my father's father uh, spoken superlatives like nobody I'd ever heard. Things like, I, I want to tell you, I never saw such a thing, or it was the best. It wouldn't matter if it was ice cream or movie or whatever it might have been. It's The current situation is always the very, very best. And never had I seen anything like it. I'm already sounding like my grandfather, but it was as though you couldn't believe him unless he spoke in the superlative, unless he spoke to the highest degree. It was not a credible account. And I don't know if that had to say more about my grandfather or what he had to say, but I was watching Trump and just thought, I miss granddaddy John because as Trump rolled along, I, I've never, no pun intended, heard so many superlatives uh, within such proximity. So we're going to go through some video here, and I want you to listen to Trump. And we're going to, every time the president speaks in the superlative, we're going to ring the bell. Is that working? You got it there, Daniel? Hmm? Yeah, we're just sitting here doing a show. 
I've received a briefing from Secretary Nielsen, Administrator Long, and my senior staff regarding Hurricane Florence and other tropical systems that will soon impact the United States and its territories. The safety of American people is my absolute highest priority. We are sparing no expense. We are totally prepared. We're ready. We're as ready as anybody's ever been. And uh, it looks to me and it looks to all of a lot of very talented people that do this for a living like this is going to be a storm that's going to be a very large one, far larger than we've seen in perhaps decades. Things can change, but we doubt they will at this stage. It's pretty late stage. We doubt they're going to be veering very far off course. The places that are in the way and in the most jeopardy would be Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, that area. And again, they haven't seen anything like what's coming at us in uh, 25, 30 years. Maybe ever. Maybe ever. Donald Trump making me miss my grandfather there. Uh, You know, when it comes to superlatives, Trump maybe, possibly, probably is like no one ever in the history of the world. Uh, So, listen, I want to get in, uh, transition right quick into... What's uh what's gone on over the past uh, well since I left you on this program yesterday, uh, with one of our favorite subject matters, and that is Regent Gate. Go ahead and fire it off. Under my thumb. Yeah. Well, under my thumb. Under John Sharp's thumb. Uh, so this is where I'll start with this. As of August 13, the evening of August 13, interim chancellor Ted Mitchell was to appear on this program. And then this program started covering Regent Gate in a way that uh, made it pretty difficult for the interim chancellor to come on this program. So perfectly understandable. I do love me some Ted Mitchell. I think I will be him again for Halloween this year. Uh, that three-inch flat top. Nobody in this Trumpian sense, nobody wears a better flat top than Ted Mitchell. Uh, understandable that he couldn't come on. But I do need to acknowledge that I've been wrong in my coverage on one particular thing of Regent Gate, and it's all up there, othersideoftexas.com. Initially, I reported that there was a meeting, the third of four executive sessions, and had a good understanding of what went on within each session, but one particular session, or one particular topic within an extended session, if you will, was had something to do with a contribution to Texas Tech. I didn't pay much attention to it. Turns out I was wrong, and I should have. There in the third of the four meetings, the four being the meeting that would live in infamy. Um, Yesterday, we brought you some news that former Amarillo Mayor Jerry Hodge had withdrawn his 
$10 million proposed gift to Texas Tech. Uh, three of that would have gone to the School of Pharmacy. $7 million would have gone. And Jerry Hodge has a history within uh, pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. Uh, $7 million would have gone towards the vet school. Now, this is what Empowered Texans Michael Quinn Sullivan picked up initially on, which makes me think, and I'm saying this on the radio, I'm logically deducing that Chairman Francis thought, you know what, uh, there's been some malfeasance here because maybe Duncan has mishandled this. It should have all gone towards one place, and they're trying to corral it back. I've just taken a blind stab there. Uh, I do think that there's connection between those two folks, and I'm just sitting here waiting, tapping on my desk, waiting on for some some public records requests to come back within <coughs> excuse me, the next 24 hours. So what I told you yesterday was that I got this email that Jerry Hodge had written, uh, that I'd gotten it from a source. Well, cue the suspense music. The source was Jerry Hodge himself. And at the time, the understanding, at least what I took away, was that uh, he didn't need to be named in it. However, there were only a couple of people to whom the email was sent, so it would make sense that Jerry Hodge would call me back this morning and would say a couple of things. One, and I'm hoping that Jerry Hodge will join us on this program tomorrow. He said, one, I need you to disclose my identity, which is nothing I've ever heard a source say, but he asked, so I delivered. He also asked for me to pass along that since then, he had asked a question in an email the email, the best part of the email, by the way, is uh, is not that he's with, withdrawing his money, and it's also not that it's almost a close second that he asked the question of how did anybody know, uh, and how did John, Sh or how did anybody outside of executive committee meetings know, executive sessions know. And uh, now John Sharp knows. He asked a question in the email. Was it one of the five, one of the five who voted, uh, the Regent Gate five who voted against Bob Duncan? Well, I passed that along as well. Again, this write-up is up in detail there on the website. But there are questions that linger in this, and it's perfectly fine. So far as my understanding of the Regent's rules, more importantly, the state statutes, do allow for gifts to be discussed in executive session, especially when you're putting names on buildings. However, based on Hodge's email, that gift was not acted upon on August 10, that Friday, August the 10. The same day in which five regents would later, behind closed doors, decide against Duncan, an ouster that, and get this, an ouster that Francis would later and still today and as of Sunday night in the Texas Tribune justify as a budgetary disagreement for roughly $5 million over a four-year period, a figure that was nearly half, almost nearly, whichever way you want to look at it, half of Hodge's gift proposal, which leads one to wonder, surely in that, that executive session, there was a conversation about 
the vet school's portion of $7 million. And I'm talking to you four right now who voted for Duncan. Was the vet school portion in any way opposed by Francis or any of the other four behind those closed doors? If so, I think the clouds of Regent Gate could gather more around the regents, Francis in particular, regarding their respective motives over the past two years. And I'll just leave you with what former Mayor Hodge told me this morning when I spoke to him shortly after being convinced that none of the Tech 5 regents nor any Tech officials leaked to Sharp, quote, none of this changes my position on them. He thinks the five should resign, and that's the mild version. Texas Tech released a statement. Uh, Jerry Hodge, and this is from Ted Mitchell. Jerry Hodge has dedicated his life to the betterment of Amarillo, the Panhandle, and the entire state of Texas. Among his many civic endeavors, he was instrumental in establishing our nationally ranked School of Pharmacy in Amarillo, working to garner the community's support and critical funding needed to turn a big vision into reality. I am forever grateful to Jerry and Margaret and remain committed to working with them on both the Texas Tech School of Veterinary Medicine and the School of Pharmacy. Well put, Interim. It seems to me that that donation, that uh, gift is still in play, but it's a matter of Tech playing its cards right and maybe five folks around the table folding. That's just the way that I look at it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. Go make some money. Thanks for tuning in. Stay locked in. Listen to some great commercials. Coming up, Jared Atkinson, City of Lubbock. What in the hell cakes is going on with all these scooters? Get the scoop right here on the other side of Texas. Other side of Texas, sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown, LLP, with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. With us in studio is Jared Atkinson. He is the city manager of the great city of Lubbock or leave it. Uh, city manager Atkinson, how are you? Doing well, Jay. Thanks for having me. Let me make sure that those that mic volume's up for you. All right, so we see, you know, I take the kids in to Roscoe Wilson Elementary every morning, and there are these scooters everywhere. So I began to look them up, and I see that they're a thing called Bird, and then I go and I Google Bird, and I come across the stories in Dallas Morning News and the Houston Chronicle about it. It just seems to me that maybe um, orthopedic surgeons are funding this operation because a lot of people are getting hurt on these scooters. It looks like a lot of fun, but in cities like Lubbock that have six, uh, what, seven, seven lane roads... Lanes that are essentially runways with stripes on them, it seems like a pretty bad 
idea. Uh, my understanding is that Bird never came in and got a license to operate in Lubbock or St. Louis or much any other city that they've operated in, just came in in the middle of the night, dropped all these scooters, and is is it fair to characterize they see themselves kind of as an Uber situation where they're going to try to make you back into policy as a city where you accommodate them? Um, I think certainly something to that effect has been suggested before. Um, I've not had any direct conversation with Bird. Uh, as far as the Still? concept, I mean, what we, we've is... had some email exchanges and, and been in contact okay. with members of the police department. Uh, as far as the concept of having these shared devices, bicycles certainly are the ones we're probably all more familiar with, but uh, now that Bird's here, Scooters has, of course, entered the conversation. It's been a challenge statewide. Um, as you referenced, you can look in Dallas, Houston. Uh, it's all across the Metroplex. Um, we have worked since uh, really late in the spring, early summer, um, expecting these opportunities to come to Lubbock and trying to figure out what's the best way to do it, to do it right, to do it safely. And I, I think we'll probably talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, you know, that's the key to it. Everybody's got to be safe when they do it. So one of the things that you'll see the city Wait, do... Wait, what's tonight? Tonight as we visit on the radio. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I thought, man, they're going to make you work overtime at the city. Go ahead. Oh, no, we're off early tonight. We're out here today. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that we'll talk a little bit about uh, after a while will be safety. And I'd really like if you have time, a little bit of the, kind of the rules to the road. You talked about our big streets. We'll do that. But kind of where Lubbock's headed with this, uh, city council had tasked our staff to work late in the spring, early in the summer, study these other cities, l look at where that shared economy uh, seemed to be working well, and look at maybe some of the challenges that they've been had. We've worked with many other cities. We've taken lots of examples. What that results in is Thursday night, Lubbock City Council will consider the first reading of an ordinance that establishes the permit process. So in other words, the right way to do it. If you want to bring these opportunities to Lubbock, here will be those certain guidelines that you follow through the city to get a permit. Um, that's really step one. It is an ordinance, so it's read this Thursday and then again on the 27th. Council finds favor both times. We go through a publication period and now we so have the rules. A new ordinance. Yes, sir. Entirely okay. new. This is not something that so was will contemplated. They, will they cry will, will they cry retroactive? Will they say, well, it, there was no ordinance. We brought up operation. Well, the fundamental issue is you have a business that's using public property. They're using public right-of-way on which to conduct their business. Mm -hmm. State law, state constitution is very clear. Cities have the right to manage and to regulate the use of those right-of-ways. Um, th think of nothing more complicated um, than perhaps an underground telephone line, gas line, electric line, the city's own water and sewer lines. Those are all in the public right-of-way. Those are all managed in a manner not to cause harm, and to provide a benefit. And that's why you have to put your daggum campaign signs behind the sidewalk. Absolutely, because that pulls you out of the right-of-way. Okay, there you go. Absolutely. So City Council will consider that again um, this Thursday evening. Meeting starts at 515. Look forward to having everybody there, certainly to hear that discussion. But as far as your question, does this become a, a retroactive issue? No, no, I don't believe it does, because the permit says these are those things that you must do in order to receive that permit. 
And of course, one of the things that the city's ordinance will propose, amongst a few other things, insurance, uh, who are we working with, how will you manage it, et cetera, our ordinance will go further and say, and you'll have a contract with one of the institutions of higher education within the city limits of Lubbock. Wow. So that's four. There's four of those out there. Um, many of the users of these devices are going to be younger. They're going to be college-age students. Um, it's a great thing. helps reduce congestion. It's got to be done right. It's got to be done safely. The scooters are a great thing. Scooters and bicycles both. We're seeing them all over. Um, okay. And I expect if we have one, we'll soon have another. Let me take you just for a second here, uh, city manager. Uh, I played this last week. I want to play it again for the audience here. This is the great Mike Leach, the great city manager, wannabe Mike Leach, uh, talking about what it's like, an avid bicycle rider, what he felt like at the time. It was, you know, so we're pre-2009, what it was like to ride bicycles in Lubbock. Did, coach, did you know that they put bike lanes on Broadway in Lubbock? Like, uh, I wish they had them there when I was there. I know the cars don't like them, but um, shoot, when I was there, I cheated death uh, more than once um, going up and down those lanes. And because uh, the one tough thing about Lubbock, and Broadway's not even the tough spot, the one tough thing about Lubbock is everything is straight. And, you know, understandably, and it's a ways apart, so everything's like 50 miles an hour, so those cars are hauling ass. And then you're sitting there hoping they notice you. You look like everything else, really. And then, um, so you're sitting there pedaling away on space. And then uh, one thing that other places have, too, but Lubbock's got a lot of, is that suicide lane, the, notice that, the notion that, okay, I go in this uh, uh, double yellow space here in the middle, and that way I can turn left. Well, heck, the guy coming the other direction may have the same idea. And, uh, no, it, it's, it's fairly treacherous. So anything that they can do for bikes there, I'm appreciative of because, uh, it, but Lubbock, you know, Lubbock's a tough place for bikes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, some, there have been some adaptations that have made since his time, but I want to carry his point over to scooters, Jared Atkinson and say, for me, like, are, are there people, first of all, the, my question is, are people who are riding these things acclimated to going 15 miles an hour in ways that they would not normally go 15 miles an hour on something that has two wheels? And secondly, are they taking, like, on the 19th uh, Highway 114 Speedway, are there scooters going up and down 19th Street? To answer the first question, I would certainly hope so. If you get on one of those, please know what you're doing and, and be careful. Coach Leach's comments are interesting. According to the state of Texas, these little motorized scooters that we're talking about legally operate under the exact same rules that bicycles do. Um, certainly bicycle lanes can be operated on a sidewalk, um, and you'll see a few of them there. I think you and I talked a bit about that the other evening. As far as on 19th, the law says you cannot ride these on a road with a posted speed limit greater than 35 miles an hour. So please do not be out on any, really, truly any of the main arterial streets. You're allowed to cross them. You're supposed to cross those streets at an intersection 
or at some other controlled device, such as a crosswalk or where you may see the flashing lights. But no, they are not to be ridden up and down our main streets. Dangerous. Okay, so just a sidewalk, which brings us back to an ordinance and permitting process. Yes. Okay. Um, I did see that in, I think it was the Dallas Morning News last week, somebody died on one of these things. It was a fatality, yes. And was, do you know what, uh, what kind of, was that a sidewalk or was that a street? We don't have any details on that yet, um, really nothing more beyond what was published in the news. Um, I also think it was late at night when that occurred. Okay. That's a that's a bad two, post-2 a.m. decision. I'm not, I don't know when it was made, but uh, I have heard people say that fatality over under right now is October 1 in Lubbock on one of these scooters. Well, let, let, let's hope not. Yeah. That's a good response from you. But it's not legal for this, and I'm citing the Lubbock Avalanche Journal here. It's not legal for scooter sharing business to operate in the city without a permit, as is the case for all businesses operating in the public. Um, even you look at paddle boards in the Canyon Lakes. Can't they always go back? And I think this predates you, the Uber controversy in Lubbock. But can't they all come back and say, well, you accommodated them. Why can't you accommodate us? Well, I think we are accommodating them. Um, the proposed permit process lays that all out you know, in great specifics. Um, does have some requirements to it. But uh, we're very, very confident that, again, state law, state constitution, um, local government code, we, we have the ability. And, and truly, I would say we have the obligation to do that. So the question really becomes, in my mind, what are any of the share companies doing that requires that permit? Well, first off, they're using the public right-of-way um, as a place of private business. They're, they're exchanging commerce there. The act of riding, whether it's the bicycle, the scooter, or whatever may be here, that, that's not the issue nor the concern. Where are the scooters we're talking about today kept in between the times that they're rented? They're kept parked in the public right-of-way. So you're, you're stationing that device that's for private rental in the midst of the public right-of-way. And, yeah. and by right-of-way, we're talking sidewalks here. Which would really chafe anybody. Like, my wife's a realtor. Mm -hmm. You've got a fairly decent co codes enforcement group. And I remember when she first started, she would put the realtor sign in between the sidewalk and the curb and go up to the city and have to retrieve her signs. because Lost and found. But, but I think even people like realtors would look at this and say, why are they, and, you know, I applaud the city for for going after this at this point, but why are they getting a pass to do commerce when when we aren't? Well, and again, it's the, the efforts the city might undertake um, really are predicated on, let, let's go ahead and establish those rules for conducting that, that commerce, and that's the process. So I right hear now. you saying you don't want to lose that commerce within the city, the commerce that they're conducting, you just want it to be done on equal grounds that other people on which other people have to operate, other businesses. Absolutely. Tell us a little, so this group bird, take us inside. Surely you've looked at the app. You understand how this thing operates. It is a disruptive technology and even a disruptive city ordinance uh, means of commerce. How does, how does something like bird work? You download the app and then what? Download the app. Um, it, it's all uh, GPS-based. 
Um, you, you can go to your app, you can open it, you can see where the particular, in this case, the birds, where those birds are parked. You don't Do get, they chirp? Yes, you can chirp them, apparently. Now, I have not been near a bird while it chirps. Have you ridden one? No, sir. Have you? No, no, that's a bad PR move for them. <laughs> I think I would take a couple up to your office and let you have a spin, but have go a ahead. spin? Okay, great. Well, uh, you go to the device. Um, in the case, I think no, they all... Hold on. The only thing I know about these things is I'm taking the kids to school, and they're like, Dad, why can't we ride one of those things? I'm like, well, because you've already got some, and I don't know anything about this. I'm going to have the boss man on the show, and then we'll talk about whether or not you're going to ride one of these things. Yeah, uh, commerce is all conducted over a telephone. Somehow the, the the scooter is unlocked. You hop on it. The meter starts running like it would in a cab. It's just going through your telephone. When you park it, you close out what you're doing. It locks itself up, and off you go. The meter quit running. But you got to leave it in a... Like you get a big fine, I think. I read uh, you get like a $125 retrieval fine if it's behind a fence or on private property. Well, that's that's something between Bird, in this case, and, and their user. That's not something we will enforce. What we're enforcing is what's going on on that public right-of-way. So let me, let me paint a quick picture. You made good examples talking about the real estate signs. What else is on those sidewalks? Certainly, you and I have talked about the kids in the school zones. Um, we're aware of a couple of places where we know there's quite a bit of that traffic that we're looking at. What about people with uh, disabilities that are, that are traveling in, in, their, in a motorized wheelchair, in a, in a push-propelled wheelchair, um, somebody that might have visual impairments? These are just sitting out in the middle of that, and occasionally we're finding them, you know, turned to where they block that. Um, to this point, Bird's been responsive at moving them, or we'll move them for them. Well, sidewalks are there for everybody, and we've got to maintain the ability for everybody to use them. Hmm. So what else are... What and how I've queued and framed all this up, what have I been missing? I think you pretty well I think you're pretty well informed on them. Uh would encourage everybody to watch as the council goes through this process over the course of the next two meetings. Um all of this will be published. The information about what's in the ordinance, what's in the permit, what are their requirements as to insurance, uh, a permit fee. We will propose and require an escrow deposit. Um, that it, that's common amongst the cities that seem to have done a good job of balancing having all these devices and taking so, care uh, of the for, public uh, right but, away. Uh, what do you mean, escrow deposit? Uh, cash deposit on hand with the city for those cases where we do have to go and retrieve one of those devices or we have to pick it up and take it out of the public right away. How are they going to pay for getting that back? Well, it'll, it'll come out of that escrow fee. Hmm. So ballpark us on what you want in an escrow fee, escrow account. I uh, believe the drafts have it uh, at $5,000 for 1 to 1,000 units. So if you have a 1,000 in one unit, you pay that again. Hmm. And then it's got a requirement to refill many, the escrow account. How many units are out there right now? Best guess is a little over 100. But so we, you we don't, don't know even that. know. No, sir, we they, do not. They just came in and did it. What, uh, what city have you worked with? The most, what other city manager? Uh, maybe a couple that you've worked with because some of the best info I've read getting ready for this interview was out of St. Louis. Um, are there other city man? What other city managers uh, have you worked with throughout this process? I have personally visited with one city manager directly. The group that put our permit together um, has looked at and or visited with multiple times. College Station, there, there's a huge fleet. They're, they're bicycles in that case, but they, they've worked very closely with College Station. Uh, man, I would put out ride-sharing sheep in College Station. <laughs> if 
but you go right ahead. I'll go right ahead and continue my list if that's all right. Okay. We've got three or four out of the we Metroplex. We've got a lot played of listenership in College Station. Do we? Good, yeah. good. Well, they're, they're welcome to come up here. The weather's great today. Uh-huh. Love it. Yeah. Um, several cities in the Metroplex. Plano is one of them. There's a few others. Um, we've spent a lot of time reading articles from not just Texas but around the country. St. Louis is one. There's a lot out of California. And really, when you start trying to deal with a new issue like this, we learn as much from looking at where they've had problems with them as we do from where it's worked right. Yeah. And those problems, you've seen the biggest problems where? Uh, Dallas is the biggest example. Um, they've had uh, these share companies have come in. They've come out. They've regulated. They've not regulated. It's, it's bounced back and forth several times. And, you know, one would only assume after the tragedy they had two weekends ago that we'll likely see something so else. So is part of the escrow account, though, uh, PSAs on – if you've not ridden a scooter, maybe ever, maybe you should try one out on a course of some kind before you go 15 miles an hour on something with, what, six-inch outside diameter wheels? They're pretty small. Yeah. They're pretty small. The escrow account is really the cost of the public. It's the cost of Lubbock having to manage the share fleets when there's a problem. That's what it's for. It's not for doing the PSAs or anything like that. Some of the larger uh, sharing companies, I think they do quite a bit of that. They do safety announcements, things like that. We've seen nothing from Bird. Hmm. All right. So the next, so cue us up this Thursday, next Thursday. What goes down this Thursday again? This Thursday is the will be the discussion, the first reading of the ordinance that establishes the permit process. Um, and who devises, is this you or is this, is there a subcommittee within the council that's devised this ordinance? It's, it's a group of city staff that put this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so your city attorney's office has participated in it very closely. Lubbock Police Department, Public Works, they're responsible for the streets. City Secretary Office in Lubbock, that's where the authority to issue permits and so forth is assigned. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then members of my staff as well. All right. And so... First reading this Thursday, this Thursday, and then the following Thursday will be what? Week, Thursday week, so it'll be the 27th uh-huh. is when the second and final reading is. Um, right. Should the council pass it on both of those deals, you have a 10-day period where we have to publish the publish the ordinance in a newspaper of general circulation. The 11th day after that, the ordinance is in effect. Yeah. Now you can get a permit. Now you have to meet those qualifications, make applications, and if you do so, you have a permit. Yeah, I just, I, I really, I applaud the entrepreneurial spirit involved here, but it also, I hear Mike Leach in the back of my head whenever I see those scooters. I'm really concerned about in a place where there's only been horses and cars, by and large, introducing mechanicalized things that can go 15 miles an hour. Um, I, I really get concerned about some of those students and otherwise. I agree. And, and if I could just say one thing, um, if you're using any of these devices, you know, be, be careful. As you said, somebody coming down a sidewalk on a scooter at 15 miles an hour is greatly different than somebody that's walking. You're doing that in and around an elementary school. You've got parents opening doors to let the kids out. You've got the kids that aren't going to be moving as quickly. If you're riding that, you're responsible for yourself, certainly. But if you have an accident, you're responsible for the person or the object that you might have had the accident with so you know folks if you're doing that just be careful be safe pay pay attention to what you're doing 
Well, he is city manager inaugural debut here inaugural on debut. Texas. Uh, thank you, Jared Atkinson, for coming in, and we look forward to seeing how this unfolds along the way. It sounds like we're well underway there at the city of Lubbock. Uh, look forward to next time. Thank you, sir. Look maybe, forward to it as well. Maybe we'll get into something that's a little more dicey. Here we go. We can talk budgets. <laughs> no, I don't like that. We, we focus on big picture <laughs> issues here on the show. Hey, you're going to go catch a quick break. Sarah Self Warbrick coming up. Get you all caught up on, I know some of you have been jonesing for some Rager Gate. We got that coming up right here about a minute and a half from now. Stay right where you are, right here on the other side of Texas. And we'll go stepping out and we'll go Hey, rolling along here on the program. This segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. Yes, uh, thank you, Jared. We did play Mike Leach for Atkinson. Glad you caught that. See, uh, I'll Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at Title One dot com. You've been waiting for it, and. Here it is. Lots of you are like, I appreciate the uh, Regent Gate information, but we want to hear some Rager Gate information. And who best to bring that to you than Sarah Self Warbrick of the Avalanche Journal? Sarah, how are you? I'm hanging in there, Jay. How are you today? Yeah, just bringing in with some good drama music here. <laughs> some there's always something isn't there and there seems to be so for folks that have clocked out on this while we've yeah. been watching regent gate unfold what's an, uh, well let me set it up um i believe last week we began on well longer ago than last week but friday mm-hmm. is a big date in which bart rager and rick dykes must provide some documentation of some kind about uh, a civil lawsuit that Ford yes. has launched against them. Why don't we start there? Yes. Okay, we can start there. So Ford amended its original lawsuit against Rager Dykes. So as y'all will recall, um, Rager Dykes sued um, certain, or excuse me, Ford sued certain Rager Dykes entities. Those entities filed for bankruptcy, which put that lawsuit on hold. So Ford amended their lawsuit um, about two weeks ago now. Well, now a bit longer than that. Um, and changed it to be against non-bankrupt entities. So that's going to be three um, Rager Dykes businesses, Rager Auto Mall, Rager Dykes 2, and Rager Dykes 3, and then um, Rick Dykes and, and Bart Rager individually. Why, so, so hold on, hold on. Before we yeah, get in, Before we get into messing around with with civil lawsuits against individuals mm-hmm. and everything involved um tell me what what's going on at Rager Dykes Automall why wasn't Rager Dykes Automall uh Rager Dykes 2 and Rager Dykes 3 why weren't mm-hmm. these entities involved originally 
they get their financing and lending from other businesses, not from Ford. Okay. So, so basically, Ford amended their suit to sue who they could. Okay. And that's where we're getting that. So Ford's trying to get after their, what, $61 million? It's altogether 116 From Ford, altogether? Yes. Wow. Begs, um, wow, $116 million. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah. It's a lot. That's, um, that's a whole lot. So, uh, so what can we expect on Friday before we start going through everything that you need to line us up with through today? Yeah. So by Friday, um, counsel for Rager Dykes has to file their response, um, in document, in a document, um, asking for an extension, on this that was filed um, a few weeks ago, there was some indication that um, we may see some more bankruptcy filings before um, this Friday date. Wait, so, from those entities, those five? Yes from, yes, from the three and then from the people who are now being sued. So the three Rager Dykes entities and then potentially um, Rick Dykes and Bart Rager themselves wow. based on what we've seen in this court document. So nothing is for sure yet, but um, there was um, an indication that that's a possibility. Okay, so today Mm -hmm. you're bringing news that there is a potential buyer, but maybe that buyer just sets the pace for market value for higher bids, is that correct? That's exactly what is happening. So, okay, today in bankruptcy court, counsel for Rager Dykes filed um, bidding and selling procedures. Um, that was filed last night, actually. But um, so, basically, they have what is called a stocking horse bidder, which is somebody that they line up ahead of time um, and kind of sets the pace for things. So a company called CamCAD Auto Group, they're out of the Dallas area, um, has bid $25.3 million for the Rager Dykes dealerships and certain assets. Wait, is that everything? Are we talking about Floyd Data, La Mesa, all these various lots, or is this $25.3 million, I believe you said? for? Mm-hmm. Is that for the whole kitten and caboodle? That is for all 13. I've never used that phrase on the radio, by the way. It's a good one. You should use it more often. (laughs) I don't even think I said it right. But that's for everything, (laughs) 25.3. Correct. Okay, so that's going to be our starting point. So basically, the stocking horse bidder um, kind of establishes that 25.3 as a starting point. So so what's this thing about – have they gotten all the keys to all the vehicles and gotten all the coaches' cars and all that stuff yet, Ford? That's still um, something that's brought up. I feel like every court hearing that we have, um, I I think so. You think so. Okay. I'm going off of what we've been told in court because that's the only time we're told anything. Um, I think those issues have been resolved since they brought in um, this chief restructuring firm. Okay. All right. So, okay, so this group has laid down kind of the floor. Yes. And other groups can come in at this point, bid more if they want to. Correct. And then at that point, 
uh, once if they get other offers on the table, um, it'll go to auction and we'll go through that process. But, so, um, but uh, looking at the timeline, this will be wrapped up by the end of November. Oh, you think so? That's what the timeline says. But, so, um, okay. We'll see. So, but in again, for people out there, I get a lot of messages from people in rural communities mm-hmm. where there are existing or somewhat existing Rager Dykes auto group entities that so this involves those dealerships too though they are still within the possession of Rager Dykes and could be put out in this auction process correct all right all right so kind of going off of that um I got a statement from this CamCat auto group this afternoon um in it I mean they expressed that they're pretty excited about this opportunity um some of the key highlights is that, you know, um, Rager Dykes was known as a generous corporate citizen. They hope to continue that. Um, excited to potentially work with the community and um, hoping to get back everyone who wants to come work for them a job. So those employees who have lost their job for whatever reason throughout this um, could have a chance to be employed by this new owner. But uh you teach courses at tech. You see mm-hmm. good uh, PR writing when mm-hmm. when you read it. Was this good PR writing, or would you just grade it like a C? Oh, I think it was a solid statement. Um, I think it's interesting that they're um, expressing the excitement to come into the market. Obviously, this is a very um, tense situation, so um, they seem very optimistic. Everything I can see, it seems like it's a solid group, so we'll see what happens. Sarah Self Warbrick here on your other side of Texas, talking through some Rager Gate. End of November, this might be resolved so far as the sale is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ford pockets all the money from the sale, correct? That I am not 100% clear on, um, but I mean, I'm assuming they would get quite a bit of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what won't end in November, and this mm-hmm. is where you and I are. This is like Ross Ramsey with me on Wednesdays, right? So I'm just respecting your knowledge and your professionalism to uh, absorb a couple of curveballs here. What will not end in November, my understanding is this, Mm -hmm. and this is from multiple, well, well, people I would regard as very good sources. Okay. Bart Rager has pled the fifth CFO has pled the fifth rick dykes has not pled the fifth what won't end in november is the criminal end to all of this uh, do you know about who pled the fifth who didn't and what to expect is the criminal part of rager gate begins to emerge i think those issues are still very much in the air there technically have not been any criminal charges filed yet um so I think that's just a further indication that um, even though these dealerships may be sold in November, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. But so why would you plead the fifth if it weren't under criminal charges? That's a good question for somebody with a better legal experience okay. than me. <laughs> so the next big thing that people are texting about right now, Sarah mm-hmm. Self Warbrick. Of the Avalanche Journal, if you're just tuning in, 
these bankruptcy schedules were expected yeah. to come in a couple of weeks ago. They've not come in yet. Uh, when do you expect them to come in? And are there banks that you're aware of that are really fretting the release of these schedules? When we're talking about schedules, are we talking about um, filing claims, stuff like that? Well, whenever the schedule comes out of, I got this, I got that, I got this, I, everybody lining up to get right. their money back. Right. Um, I think we're still seeing some claims come in and, you know, people filing as interested parties every single day. Um, and I think, I think that's also just going to continue for the next few months. Um, I think um, interested parties and creditors have until December to file a claim on the bankruptcy case. So that's going to go on for a while. Hmm. And when will some of this information be released, though? It's hard to say. Honestly, I'm just taking it day by day, um, checking in every 30 minutes to see what we got. And um, I think that's kind of where most people are. Where do you check in, though? Like, take us behind the scenes. Yeah, Journalism so, um, professor, have... Lubbock's journalist. Like, where... <laughs> Like, you have a website that you're refreshing every yes, 30 minutes? Yes, I do. Um, so we have access to um, court documents through um, a system. And this is something that before this case, I checked every week anyway. But now um, I'm able to narrow it down to specifically uh, whatever case I'm looking at, um, date ranges, things like that. Um, it pulls up everything that has been filed. Uh, makes my job much, much easier to have this right at my fingertips and to be able to refresh it every 30 or so minutes. So can you give us any juice, any details on entities that folks listening may be surprised or may Ooh. be in line here? Um, I think some of the more interesting things that we may see more come out of um, is other car manufacturers, GM, um, Chevy. They've all filed at least as interested parties. That doesn't give us much information, though. That's not telling us why they're interested that's just saying that um they're here and um wanting to stay up mm -hmm. to date on the case um so i think that's one of the things that i'm really looking for is just waiting for um some of this these other dealers um and other creditors to come through with yeah. some more information but here's what here's the thing and i'd love to engage you on this we're gonna get you off in a couple of minutes i promise okay but to sources who came to me originally and said, mm -hmm. here's some audio, here's what we know. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't, I don't have your brain and I don't do this for a living. So I've kind of laid off the whole Regergate deal in lieu of uh, everything that's storming with Regent gate. But right. what the question I got was, has Toyota jumped in line and, they doubt that Toyota, if they do, it'll be kind of because everybody else did. But mm -hmm. how in the world does Rager did, past tense, did Rager Dykes do the kind of business that they did with Toyota? And most of that stuff apparently is accounted for. And what does it say about Ford Motor Company and Ford Motor Credit? that they're so far behind the eight ball here in this, in this bankruptcy, um, mm -hmm. you know, in the way that was put, and I and don't mean in any way to be, uh, however this may sound, but 
the way it was put to me was the Japanese would never put themselves in this position. How did Ford uh, put themselves up to $116 million in liability? How did that happen? Yeah, so um, obviously no other manufacturer, Toyota included, has come up with any claims yet. So um, at least not, they've, most of them is again filed as an interested party, but I'm not seeing any numbers of you know they owe us this as, much or anything as like Toyota that. Has Toyota jumped in? I I don't think so off the top of my no. head, uh, but again I know Chevy has GM. Um, I honestly I do not remember seeing Toyota. I'm not where no. I can look it up right now. And but just but um, that, so just looking at it, spitballing yeah. behind this microphone, that speaks trouble to me for Ford that that Ford was negligent at best, but may have had a complicit party inside at worst. Uh, that, so that's how I we think, got to where we are. Yeah. When it comes to that, I think there are a lot of questions still. Um, we have heard both, you know, in court hearings and in documents that this was a very trusting relationship um, that just kind of got out of hand. You know, um, the former CFO was an employee of Ford Motor Credit. Shane Smith. Time. Yes. Yes, before um, he was at Rager Dyke. How many times have you knocked on his door? Um, quite a few. <laughs> yeah, never answered. No, no luck yet. But um, so, yeah, I think that's the big thing that we keep hearing is that this is a very trusting relationship that just went way south. Yeah. Um, so, closing out here, mm-hmm. bidding process underway. Not sure about the fifth and how that plays into the lawsuits or the civil side, Um, but Friday should be a pretty... What can we expect from your reporting there at Lubbock Avalanche Journal, LubbockOnline.com, come Friday? Well, um, it's going to depend on what is filed. Um, I'm a bit... uh, I'm prepared for um, if we get more bankruptcy filings or if we just get... Um, their response. Either way, we're going to get some new information on this case on Friday, so we'll see what happens. Hmm. She is Sarah self Hey, Moore, I'm coming to your class in the morning. You are? We're going to talk about, what are we talking about again? We are talking, you are coming to enlighten my senior journalism students about having a successful podcast and being an entrepreneur in the media industry. Well, we do pay for a few leasing vacations through this program. <laughs> I can say that. And uh, okay, we'll we'll talk about that. Maybe okay. I should maybe I should have Daniel on standby because he's the guy who really makes a lot of this happen. Sarah Self Warbrick, check her out there. Get you some uh, Rager Gate drama. As we this is better than the applause. We appreciate your time, Sarah, and look of forward course. to everything that's to come. Of course. See you bright and early tomorrow. Yeah, 8 a.m. See you there. All right. Bye. All right. Uh, Going to get out with Sarah and then uh, line up uh, what's coming up here on your other side of Texas. Stay right where you are. I do, I do love, I do love the theme music there for, uh, oh, and speaking of, tomorrow we're going to play a game of, um, my understanding, well, what do you got? I'm, I'm going to save it for you. Just tease it for right now. Got some what do you got tomorrow, but I think you'll be surprised at who wants to play me in a game of what do you got right here on your other side. Stay right where you are.
Smith South Plains Ford, we're all about a better car buying experience. We understand that shopping for a car is a big deal, and that's why we believe in listening to what matters to you. Come see us in Leveland, where we have a wide selection of new Ford cars and trucks and an excellent sales staff. Love your car, love your dealership at Smith South Plains on Highway 114 in Leveland, Texas, or online at smithsouthplains.com. Love your car, love your dealership. Smith South Plains. A lot of uh, critiques on that Flint Boot and Hat Shop commercial. Which says to me, people have learned it, they know it, and the key to advertising is repetition. My dog chewed up my ostrich boots. Love it. This segment brought to you by another group I love, Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding areas since 1992. See how they can help you with your knew that was coming document storage and shredding services today lubbockfileroom.com 806-744-7666 that's 806-744-7666 coming up tomorrow on the program we hope to have the aforementioned Jerry Hodge, former mayor of Lubbock, to come on and talk about his withdrawal of, uh, of former mayor of Amarillo. Excuse me. Talk about his withdrawal of $10 million. He and his wife, Margaret, deciding over an AM game this weekend that enough's enough. Uh, their gift had not been acted upon. I've raised questions about why it was not acted upon. Folks, listen. It was a $10 million gift. Do you know what all this hullabaloo, connect, connect, and I say that for you listeners in A&M, you're welcome. All this hullabaloo about budgets with Bob Duncan is $5 million over four years. Jerry Hodge's gift, along with his wife, Margaret, $10 million, $3 million to the School of Pharmacy, $7 million to the vet school, Something smells rotten in the biggest small town in the world, and that's Lubbock, Texas, and we're calling it out there, OtherSideOfTexas.com. Go check out that new piece. Share it with your friends. We're covering that story exclusively there on the site. I'm sorry for those of you who may be offended. We just get the scoop, and we go after it. Tomorrow on the program, hopefully Jerry Hodge and Ross Ramsey of the Texas Tribune and why in the world is this weekend the Celebrate Cotton Game at Texas Tech, but Tech isn't allowed to wear white? We're going to have to find cotton in other shades of red or black to wear the game. Our friend Chris Level, Red Raider Sports, is going to join us here on Thursday, and uh, we may have some tickets to give away too the Houston game but for now I gotta get home gonna get home above average dinner and a great family waiting for me I hope the same is true for you for Lubbock City Manager Jared Atkinson Sarah Self Warbrick of the Avalanche Journal and one of our dear favorites on the program what do you got 
Uh, we're going to sign off this edition of The Other Side of Texas. Thanks for tuning in. And, again, thanks for sharing with friends. Go grab their phones at the office, around the water cooler, or around the poker table, wherever you might be. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. And we look forward to talking with you on the next edition of The Other Side of Texas.